Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside Numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Cubs PS Plus is part of the Bleacher Bunch Productions on the Fans First Sports Network, joining great shows like the Sun Ranto Show, Cup of Cubby Blue, and Baseball Rabbit Hole. The Bleacher Bunch feed is available wherever you get your podcasts, and Cubs PS Plus is always available, ad-free, to Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash Plus, where you can support the show and always find a variety of benefits starting for as little as a dollar a month. In addition to the podcast feeds, you can also find me on Twitter or X, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky, and YouTube, all at CubsPS Plus. A spin on the baseball metric, OPS Plus. Love the pod or hate it, please drop a review wherever it is you find your podcasts. And if you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe you can share an episode with a friend. Welcome into episode 68, the Jorge Soler episode of this podcast. This was an easy call. As Michael Cotton points out later, he's the only Cubs player to ever wear number 68. Soler was an exciting young player in 2015 and 2016, and then was traded for closer Wade Davis before the 2017 season, who was one of the big reasons the Cubs made the NLCS for a third straight season that year. Nothing is happening in the offseason, and spring training is not quite here yet, so this week I jump into the baseball rabbit hole with Michael Cotton, co-host of the Sun Ranto Show and host of the Baseball Rabbit Hole podcast. Cotton and I talk old heads versus stat nerds, going all the way back to Henry Chadwick creating the box score and the bulk of baseball stats that remained largely untouched for 100 years, and then get into what the new wave of analytics means in today's game. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. Hey, this week I'm thrilled to be joined by Michael Cotton from the Sun Ranto Show. Michael, how you doing? Hey, wow, that that went a lot quicker than I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, so you're new to, I mean, you've been listening to my pod. We've talked a lot, um, but my audience may not be familiar with you unless they've caught some of the crossover with Sun Ranto, and I know we've got some similar listener base, but uh, yeah, tell my audience about uh, like where you come from and... Uh, well, I'm I, I'm obviously I'm a, I'm a huge Cubs fan. Uh, I have been working with Danny Rocket on the Sun Ranto show. This will be my tenth season. Wow, on, that's a long time. Wait, is that right? Tenth season? Yes. It always gets you confused because like it was the 2015 season, and this is going to be 24. Mm-hmm. But it gets confusing because of that, you know, like. Is it 10? Is it nine? I don't yeah. know. That's yep. me. Clear. <laughs> this is the perfect segue into, I don't understand numbers very well, <laughs> which is, which is why you and I have such great conversations uh, about the Cubs. I'm, you know, uh, if you don't know, we are on a discord for the Sun Ranto show and, uh, 
Mike is one of the best people in there for me to interact with. We go back and forth talking about, because we, we see things slightly different. I'm a little more on the uh, artistic side mm-hmm. of the argument, and you're a little more on the, the math and science side. But I think, uh, so, you know, for your listeners, like this is sort of our relationship. We go back and forth on the Discord, but I think we always come up, I don't know, pretty much in the same what Yeah, we're place. not that far like off. We, we we come at the problem very differently, but uh, we both want the Cubs to win 110 games and pound the Dodgers and win the World Series. Yeah. Oh, God, absolutely. But, well, okay, so anyway, I've, so I've been doing a Cubs podcast for, you know, this will be my 10th season. And, uh, you know, and then I've also dallied in a few other podcasts. I did Bears podcast for a little while that I – created Ouch. for myself um and yeah they it, it wasn't it wasn't all that great uh <laughs> and then i'm just happy uh, i don't have to talk about the bears too i couldn't yeah, take it exactly goodness and then um and then a couple a few years ago i actually like kind of during the pandemic uh i came up with the idea for a baseball rabbit hole and that's a a baseball podcast that even if you don't like the cubs it's it's baseball in general Mm-hmm. that I do and so I gener- I ask a the tagline is I ask a question of the internet and then I follow the rabbit holes that it leads me to and it's a cool show I enjoy it good I'm 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 glad I try to you know it's it's kind of tough because when you're doing something like that it, you jump into the research and I know that you do a lot of research for this show and so I'm sure you understand what it's like like you get into something and all of a sudden you're 20 minutes in you're like wait is this even what i'm working on right now (laughs) (laughs) and and then so with my show i always have to like bring it back and then and then i've i usually try to put it into three acts strike one strike two strike three and then i Mm -hmm. get out of there uh i do that at sometimes it's it it works very well and sometimes it kind of doesn't Sometimes you just can't. I mean, some of the, that's some podcasting. of the, yeah, that's podcasting. That's just how it works. But, um, but yeah, no. So I, I really enjoy that. I mean, I've just been a baseball fan for most of my life. 1984, right there. That was my, yep. That was the birth of my fandom. I was about eight years old, and you know the Cubs were out there winning the the East back then, you Mm -hmm. know, like people who aren't as old as us, you know, don't even realize what it was like back then, you know, two teams making it to the, like there was no playoffs. It was just straight to the NLCS. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So it was best of five. Yeah. Best of five. That didn't work out so well in 84. They could have used another game. (laughs) God, we, yes, we could have. (laughs) And, um, yeah, so, you know, and, and that was a big thing. It was, like, my stepdad was a big Cubs fan, and he was watching all the games, and, you know, of course, you know, the same old stories every other Cubs fan. WGN, I lived in Iowa. We could watch it, and so we did, and I fell in love with guys like, you know, Ryan Sandberg and, and Ron mm-hmm. Say and, uh, you know, Rick Sutcliffe when he came in halfway through the season, and it was just – it was cool. It was like, that was my sort of introduction to really watching baseball. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, so God, now it's been 40 years, 
a follow in this and that's unreal yeah and uh <laughs> you know and and sometimes more closely than others you know i moved away and lived in other places but really for the last 10 years it's kind of dominated my life because of the sunranto show like we we have done i mean we're we are going to celebrate our thousandth show this summer and uh it's like it's amazing i mean yeah you think about the thousand shows it is so so in in see how much bad baseball you guys have talked about well, I mean, honestly, we talked about a lot of good baseball. Because yeah, you did. My you first were right season, during the heyday, though. My first season was 2015, so yeah. that was kind of a thing for a little bit on this on the show. Was that since I had joined the show, they didn't miss the playoffs until 2018 or 19, 19, 19. So, 18, you know, they got I, that one game in there. They technically made it. Oh uh, well, okay, I don't count <laughs> that, but <laughs> yes. So yeah, so. But it was like, yeah, so 15, um, and then in 2015, because I was on the show, uh, I got to go to my first ever Cubs playoff game. I flew, I lived in Colorado at the time, but I flew in and, uh, at the time it was me, Danny Rocket and Lyle Aker were the hosts of the show. And we all went and watched the Cubs just absolutely pound the Cardinals uh, they hit six home runs, which I think is a uh, NLDS record. I think it was so. six home Somebody runs by six. It. it was six home runs by six different players, and I think that's yes. what it was. Like somebody else had done six home runs, but it had never been six separate players. That I was mean, so much fun. Yeah. Oh, six out of nine, and one of them's the pitcher, right? <laughs> so yep. really, it's six out of eight. It yeah. It was it was an amazing game. Such a you know, such a fun time to be able to do that. And then of course, you know, 16 and it was the greatest team any of us had ever seen. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, gosh is, so I've actually gotten to see, I, I got to see, you know, straight almost five years, even the 2018, 2019, those were not bad teams. No, they just got caught at the end and didn't quite, make it well, in and we can joke about 2018 whether they made the playoffs or not because the one game wild card but that team won 95 games yeah and and even losing the division lead like the brewers had to win like their last eight straight or something just to force the tie oh it was one of the most improbable things ever uh another thing i should probably shout out to ivy envy i don't know mike were you a listener of ivy envy back in the day i found them their last season right Right around the time they announced they were going to finish, what, was it the 20, 2018 season? I can't remember what year it was. but Yeah, I think it was something like that. So yeah, I listened to like their last season. So I got in on them fairly early, 2010, I think. And yeah, they were for around for me, a long time. For me, I had just moved. So in, uh, I had just moved out to Colorado from the Quad Cities. And is that where you grew up? Yeah, I grew up in okay. eastern Iowa, right across the street, in LeClaire, so just north of the Quad Cities and right across the street from the Mississippi. Yeah, I was, that was Des Moines area, so. Oh, okay. So same time, same era. I'm yep. a couple years older than you, but not, not much. Yeah, but yeah, so it was great. I, I moved out to Colorado and, and somehow found this thing that was called a podcast on Apple Podcasts, and 
it was these guys that were from my hometown and they were talking about baseball the way that I would talk about baseball. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that was the most amazing thing because there are a million podcasts out there. Uh, and I only listen to a few baseball podcasts because I just so want to. so much time in the day. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but I also, you know, I just, I like to, it, for me, it's all about the hosts, right? Yeah. It can be one person. It could be three people. It can be two, whatever. But there has to be something about how the host is uh, going about talking about the whatever the thing is. And, you know, for a lot of these like Cubs podcasts, too many of them get very, they, they're, they want to be professional journalists and that's great if that's what they are and that's what they're doing. But Mm -hmm. that doesn't interest me anymore. Like I, I lived through the early two thousands where that's all we had and it was ubiquitous and it was, you know, Dan Patrick was great. I loved it for like the 10 years that I listened. And then I was like, <laughs> man, this is the same thing over and over again. Yep. Uh, you know, and so a lot of these, so when I found podcasts and I actually found regular people like me, like you, like, uh, you know, Corey, Andy, and oh gosh, now I, I remember I, the names. I didn't listen long enough. Yeah. I'm going to, I'll remember it later and I'll throw it in there. But, but these guys doing, um, Ivy Envy really mm-hmm. kept me connected to the Cubs, even though I was in Colorado, which was great. And it was through that podcast that I met Danny. Mm-hmm. And then of course, you know, from then I've been on Danny's podcast and I, I watch more Cubs than I ever I've watched more Cubs in the last 10 years than I watched in the first 30. And I bet, you know, and I would listen to games and stuff like that, but it's like, you just don't follow it quite as closely until somebody wants you to talk about it. Right. Like you've been doing this for a little over a year now. Yep. About a year Is that now. right? Yeah. yeah. It started uh, July 22. And if, and, and how have you noticed your, not your fandom, but your knowledge of the team and how you, interact with the team how has that changed for you in that time it's been a lot of fun for me so when i decided to podcast i had been through i've been listening to podcasts for six or seven years of different types and um i thought that's i have some other podcasting ideas separate and apart from baseball but the cubs are great because it's just constant content you know i don't have to come up with a eight episode series and do research on, you know, eight different events or something. Like if I want to do some kind of storytelling podcast, I just have reps behind the mic, but I found that getting on and doing it, I just watched the Cubs differently. Like the Cubs sucked when they started my podcast. And it was, it was <laughs> right. awful. They, yeah. Talk, and, talk about hitting it at maybe the wrong time. Like, <laughs> yes, I mean, it was, it was awful, but at the same time, like I was still interested. Like it was still like, what's the story? Why am I watching? And so that's, that's what I try to tell. Like, why am I watching? I'm watching because I want to see if they can successfully turn this thing around and get back to where they were before. And there, right. there are some things they're doing, seem to be doing really well. Some things I wish would move a little faster. Um, I don't always, I'm probably, I don't know. I don't think you guys are as negative as you come off. Sometimes you guys have that whole sarcastic thing going on the podcast, but, uh, um, I know when I come on, I, I tend to be the more positive one in the group, but um, I think we all see it for what it is. But it 
it's helped me watch the game on a different level. And it came at a time where I had just had a ton of family baseball. Like my son was going through high school and doing travel baseball. So that didn't always leave a lot of time for the Cubs. Oh, yeah. And, and so it's amazing graduated- how baseball can keep you away from baseball. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. <laughs> so, you know, he had graduated and I had changed. I had actually quit a job just through burnout and I had some time off. I was like, let's give this thing a shot. And it got, got me reconnected in a cool way that I didn't necessarily see coming. And so now to be, I mean, this off season has been absolute torture because nothing happens ever. Um, but to hang on it and see like, all right, they're 10 and 18 in May and it looks like this season's going nowhere either, but let's still find something cool to talk about. Cause there are still cool stories. There's still, some dude having a great year all of a sudden you realize that Jan Gomes is like all of a sudden Superman in clutch situations for four months and just being able to dig in and kind of tell some of those stories helps keep me going. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> sorry. And then, uh, no, and I, and I know like you were saying, you're a little more on the positive side than sort of our show, which tends to skew a little more like feeling negative because we're kind of trying to make fun of things and make jokes Mm -hmm. about it because um we're sort of the anti-professional we're we're the fan we're we're trying to be that knee-jerk fan reaction you know and you know there is something about the way that uh when you watch and you watch all the time you really start to understand a lot of things and for me I know a lot of the the friction I get from people when they're like, why are you so down? I was like, well, because I have been watching 162 games for 10 years. Mm-hmm. You know, most fans are watching 30 games a year. You know, like Even actually are probably not catching half. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's be, just because it's hard. Like, if you don't well, have life, right? an I outside mean, reason to be doing it, there's other things to do. Unless you're one of those people Lee Elia was complaining about. You know, like, you got a day job, and so you may not catch the Friday at 120. And, and oh, you yeah, may not we, be able to stay up and watch those. If, I live on the East Coast. When the Cubs play L.A. or San Francisco, they're starting at 1030 at night. Not everybody can stay up and watch those games. Oh, yeah. those. I mean, those are brutal on everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... And for a lot of the time, I didn't have, I mean, I work at home. So that's so one reason that a lot that allows me to do that. Um, you know, be able to watch because yeah, when it gets late and you've got to get up early, there's no way to do that. It's just too much. Um, but yeah, so I, I watch these things all the time and, and you mentioned Lee Elia, the Sun Rancho show. We are the 15%. Oh, We're yeah. the ones 100%. We love it so much that we're going to be there 162 games a year. We are mm-hmm. always going to be there. And because of that, we see a lot of it. But also it's hard for us to sort of separate what's happening right now from what's happened for the last five years. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, so when I talk to people and they're like, well, you know, it's it feels like they they look at some of these things like it's in a vacuum. Right. Because they are in their minds, they're not paying quite as close attention as 
you and I are now because we do a show about it. Mm-hmm. And so they come in and they're like, well, it's not, it's really not that big a deal. But in my mind, I'm like, no, this is the fifth time they've done this. <laughs> you know, I'm like, they've done this over and over and over. And, you know, and, and so that's where I end up like having sort of struggling with it. And that's why, uh, you know, sometimes people come into the show and they're, they're like, oh, this is too negative. We try well, let's be honest, like to a- anybody be- who's watched for a long time. When you guys hit those negative moments, even though I tend to be a little bit more optimistic, we have all had exactly those thoughts. Yeah. And, and here they freaking go again. And we're trying to have a little fun with it. Mm-hmm. And maybe that doesn't come across all the time. You know, we're doing our best out there trying to like, if we're frustrated by something, we want to kind of, you know, say something and, and make fun of it, you know, and, yeah. and say what we're seeing versus because sometimes you see a newspaper because I'm old as hell, obviously a newspaper, <laughs> um, you see, you see some sort of headline about a game and they're like, Oh, everything went great. They won. It was seven to six, you know, but if you really watch the game, you're like, well, no, all the problems they've been having this year showed up in this game, but they pulled it out, you yeah. know? And, and so again, that's what I'm saying. Like it's hard sometimes for us to separate each individual game because we see so much of it and then other people when they come in they don't quite understand our perspective and because we don't have a monetary stake in this like we make nothing you know we we have a patreon and you are a uh, a supporter and we really appreciate that and it, we appreciate everybody who's willing to just give us a couple bucks because they appreciate what we do. It's amazing. It's yeah. like, yeah, it's amazing. I have, and I have the same. I'm very, 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 very thankful for the uh, people that throw a few bucks in there. Cause you know, it's, this is not a money-making operation for the most part. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, and some <laughs> of these people get it, but as soon as it becomes a money-making operation, you start to see those changes in how mm-hmm. they cover the team because they're worried about access. They're worried about where they can get in and you know, they would, they know that they're going to run up against these guys in real life. And if they are, whether they're right or not, if you say, you know, negative things at times, it can come back to, to bite you. Whereas we're just a fan podcast. And so we can get away with a lot of that. The cool thing I think, and the Cubs have so many podcasts. I mean, it's, I can't even begin to listen to them all. I, I see, you know, updates on Twitter that, some guy started a new one and I was that guy a year and a half ago. But you know, what's cool is there's a little something for everybody. Like I'll listen to CHGO or Kaplan and then you're getting more of like the traditional sports talk kind of info. They get like Ryan Herrera on there cause he's a beat writer. And so you get that angle of things. There's also like, I was listening to the compound today and that's the player side. Like, yeah, you get a little something different from everything and, and, so the one thing I've tried to do, and, and you guys are like hanging at the bar with your friends, basically sh- yep. shooting the shit about Cubs. And I just try to find that. I try to find something that nobody else is, or try to tell a story in, in a way that I don't think other people are telling it. Um, I don't know how, you know, novel I am at any given point, but you know, there's just so many different voices out there. You just got to find the ones that work for you. Well, I mean, I'll tell you, I, I listen to your show whenever it comes out. 
and I honestly, I don't listen to, like, like I said, I don't listen to a lot of Cubs shows. I listen to Cap. Um, and then I pick up the other ones. I have a bunch of them in there that I will just download one or two, but I'm not like subscribed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, but I think one of the best things about the podcasting community, at least around the Cubs, that I've been amazed by throughout, because we've been doing this for so long, we've seen them all come and go. It's a friendly group. It really you is. You know what I mean? Like, it's, there isn't this animosity. There's no, like, you have a Cubs podcast, so I need to be better than you. Or, yeah, you know, or... You know, you you don't like somebody. You don't if you see him at the game, you don't talk to him or something because they're a Cubs podcast. No, everybody in this group, like it is a community. It's like a community of podcasters, it's a community of listeners, and they may not listen to my show, but they listen to your show. And then we're tangentially connected because of this. Mm-hmm. And then I was the, it's really cool. Yeah. And I was surprised early on. I want to get some guests. I get sometimes I get tired of hearing myself talk or I've just you know, it's the second week in a row the Cubs have played exactly the same way they played before. Let's l- shake it up, talk about something else. And, you know, I've had, you're on the show now. I've had IFG on talking about international baseball. Um, I've had Greg Huss, Greg Zumack, Brian Smith all on talking about, um, you know, prospects. And everybody's so willing and open to go on the different shows. I've had Cody Del Mendo on and Brendan Miller on. And, and uh, everybody's been great. I, I don't think I've... I don't think I've been turned down by anybody. There have been a couple of people where we're still kind of trying, haven't made schedules work out, like just hasn't worked out yet. But like you said, everybody's so friendly and open and it's kind of cool to see, hear people go on different shows. I love when you guys get some of those guys on your show. Yeah. I mean, we love bringing, bringing different people on. And I think, you know, that's sort of the thing that podcasting about the Cubs has brought to the conversation that, nobody else did you know like if you're nbc you can't go on abc or cbs or fox or whatever you know like you you stay separated and you're Mm -hmm. you know and then they're out on twitter and they're trying to like beat each other to the punch on all this stuff whereas the podcasting world is is more like we do the same thing but we clearly do it differently let's chat like that's why I'm on this show right now because you and I do things differently. And because of that, we've had some amazing conversations in the discord, you know, and, and that community for me has been a lifesaver because anybody who gets a little bit older, you know, and you, especially when you start moving around, you don't see a lot of people all the time. So the fact that I have like, you know, there's maybe 20 active people on there that I can talk to the, about the Cubs at any given time and have a good, a really good conversation. That group has always amazed me. I mean, how many I've seen in there legitimate back and forth arguments and uh, Wilson Contreras was one of them, right? That whole Wilson thing was big. Like that went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And in a lot of places, a lot on the internet or in the world, like, that would have just become toxic. Yeah. And it never no, that's did. That's a great group. Yeah. It never did. And and so it's always been that's and again, that's sort of the same thing with the podcasting community around the Cubs. Like you could become toxic, but 
none of us have chosen that way. We've all chosen to be fans together and be friends and to contribute to each other in this. And yeah, it's been, it's been pretty awesome. Like, yeah, we choose snark instead of violence. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But now, um, so you've been getting the rabbit hole going again. Um, that's been cool to see. I I heard the original version. Now you're kind of re-releasing them and updating them. Um, yeah. What's your plan for that? So I had, uh, two seasons. Oh, that was, that was another thing. Like you said, when the Cubs are easy because it's just content, they generate content for eight months out of the year. It's just every single day. There's a new thing Mm -hmm. to talk about when it comes to doing a different type of show. It is so much harder because (laughs) I'm trying, I have to try and create something that's going to hold up because our shows, the ones that we do every week, in two or three weeks or a month, they're gone. Like somebody yep. might go back and listen to them. People have done that, but all that information is gone. We've already moved on and we've got all these other things. When I do the rabbit hole, I'm really working on creating something that won't feel dated to mm-hmm. right now if I can. And so when I went back to re-release on the Bleacher Bunch network, uh, which you this show is a part of and Sunranto and Cup of Cubby Blue, we're putting it out on there. And so I wanted to go back and make sure it sounded better. Double check some of my work. It became a bigger project than I thought it was going to be. Cause I kind of thought, you know, I kind of thought I nailed it the first time, but guess what? I did not. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. Don't go back and re-listen. Yeah, I know it was rough. <laughs> so I had to go back and, and redo a bunch of things and change some stuff that I felt like, you know, put it in a time and place some of the stuff I had to keep you know but uh yeah but it I tried to make that as evergreen as possible but I have two seasons and they're all starting to come out now on uh the Bleacher Bunch feed they'll come out every two weeks so that gives me plus it's two seasons and a season is nine innings technically yep but I have a few in there that I had to do that were just way too long. And so I had to break the, so instead I broke the innings into the bottom of the inning, top of the inning. Okay. You know, and then I had an extra innings podcast because that podcast gets more into, well, it's all over the place, but one of the things that I'm really into is the art of baseball, Mm -hmm. poetry, uh, painting, the, the artistry of the players, the things that they're doing on the field and how they're, at least in the past, it was much more obvious that they were creating their own thing to get there. Mm-hmm. Whereas now with video technology and the, and the analytics and everything, the the players are much more similar than they were back in the day. You're not going to ever see Craig Council's hands way up over his head because he yeah, just that's probably true because he just kind of figured uh, I figured that one out or you know the difference between uh you know like when we were kids everybody had a different batting stance it seemed like you know <laughs> you could you could sit there when you're out on the field and be like well I'm batting like Leon Durham now and I'm batting like Ryan Sandberg and now remember Luis Pujols for the Astros he had that high like he was totally vertical with that high leg kick and he like balance on the back leg yeah. I remember trying that one out in wiffle ball all the time. <laughs> right. 
and all that stuff was so it was a little bit different back then because they they were there was less of a business less of a science behind it you mm-hmm. know and the, and i think the science has done a lot to make the players better but it does take out some of the um the oddities and so i try and hit some of those oddities and some of the stories that maybe hopefully you haven't already heard about baseball and i mean the first episode which is the first two episodes are out there right now and the first episode was about who invented baseball and i knew just through different things that abner doubleday was not the guy Mm-hmm. But I didn't have any idea what Abner Doubleday was about, what he did, who did invent it, what the what the history of it was. But it was it blew my mind. And yeah, so it's a really interesting story. Yeah. And, and it goes in so many different ways. And that's how sort of the baseball rabbit hole was invented, because I literally went down a rabbit hole and it <laughs> took me all over the place. I mean. So I was not, which I was not expecting. And then now I try to recreate that. And it's, it's harder to recreate than it was in the first episode, but, but I've been doing it, but that sort of brings us to this podcast here, because Mike, you are, you're much better versed in these, in the new analytics the new statistics that baseball is using. And it seems like, I mean, every year they kind of come up with new ones. Oh, uh, Greg Huss is creating them for yes. himself. <laughs> That's one of my favorite episodes, actually. And I dove into that. Yeah, that I was amazed. Like, because, sure, I hear about all these things and I don't understand them. <laughs> but to know that I've actually had conversations with a guy that created an actual stat that he's trying to put out there and get together and, and he explained it and I did understand it mm-hmm. and how he's coming around to it. Now, do I agree with all of it? No, but it was really interesting to go over the way that you guys went over it. But because of that, when we talked about being on this show, I knew that I had to bring back something from the baseball rabbit hole that, I was never able to fit in because there was too much going on in that first episode. Perfect. Let's do it. Do you know who created baseball statistics? I think I do, but I'll let you go. It was Henry Chadwick, which is a name that I had never actually heard. Maybe some of your listeners have, uh, because actually saber, you know, uh, the saber metrics, but the, mm-hmm. what is it? This It's the society for American baseball research. Oh, yeah. In 2009, they actually created an award and they named it after Henry Chadwick. So maybe yeah. people who are really into that, the Henry Chadwick award is named after the guy who invented baseball statistics. And he, he, but he wasn't like a mathematician. And I think that's why it's funny that his statistics, the ones that he created, by and large, stuck around for 150 years. We still use them. I, yeah, the old heads like me are still <laughs> stuck in them, you know, and it's only been in the last, you know, maybe decade, decade and a half that sort of these newer statistics have started to take hold, you know, things like war and WRC and stuff like that. But 
Henry Chadwick created the things we all understood if we're older, batting average, ERA, RBI, all that stuff. But like I said, he was not a mathematician. He created it because he was a journalist mm-hmm. and he was writing stories and he loved baseball. In fact, they call like back in the day, back when people knew who he was, they would call him the father of baseball because of his like relentless reporting on the sport. He wanted to bring it to everyone. But to do that, you know, I mean, baseball is a tough sport sometimes to write about, especially when you've got, you know, maybe 250 words in a column or something like that per game. And he's trying to get this stuff in there. So he decided, plus also he kind of created the scorecard and how Mm -hmm. to score a game because while he's watching the game, he needed to make his notes and to be able to do it quickly. And so for his columns in the paper, he created what we now know as the box score. And, you know, uh, and maybe people who listen to podcasts who are younger, maybe don't really understand what a box score is because they're not as prevalent now. But back in the day, they were in the newspaper. You, They would have every single, even if they didn't have a story, they would have every single game mm-hmm. would have a box score and it would have each player that played and basically their offensive stats. They would have a little bit for the pitchers, number of pitches, you know, stuff like that. If, uh, But that's, it, it's not going away. It's just not as easily seen by everyone like it was back in the day. I, I will say, I think the box score itself, the, the, the box score we've had in the newspaper that we've had for 150 years is absolutely brilliant. I mean, you watch a baseball game or a baseball game happened. You didn't watch it. And like you said, you might go to the paper the next morning and maybe you're, you're a Cubs fan living in Chicago, but what happened with the Cincinnati Reds? Because that matters for the pennant race. And there's not a story in there to tell you that, you know, the center fielder hit a double in the bottom of the eighth to drive in two runs, but you can look at the box score and you can looking at the numbers, you can walk, walk it through and you can know exactly what happened. You can know, who drove in the runs, who scored the runs, when did they score? What, how was the back and forth? Like it's all in there. And the way I've always looked at numbers is it's telling some kind of story. And the, the box score is obvious. It's telling the story of that game. And then the obvious next step, because we didn't have analytic departments and all the other fancy math stuff was we're going to tally up all the box scores. So how many runs did you drive in over the course of a year? How, what was your batting average on the season? Yeah, and, and Henry Chadwick started that. He he put out, uh, let's see, in he put out the first baseball guide. Yeah. So, you know, the things that we uh, look at now, it was called the Beetle Dime Baseball Player, and it was basically it was basically baseball perspective prospectus. So which I know that you're aware of and I think they have a website now and uh, Mm -hmm. you know, but it used to be that big thick book that you'd get and it'd have every player and you could go through it and see their stats for the year. Henry Chadwick invented that and it was called the Beetle Dime B E A D L E. Like, so it's not even like, and I have no idea why probably somebody who paid for it 
Probably. <laughs> I'm sure it's yeah. a sponsor. It was something. probably the publisher or something, but yeah, yeah the Beatle Dime baseball player. He so he kind of created that first thing, and that's what he did. He tallied up those first bunch of box scores and put it in there so that people could actually read through and see what a player did for the year. You know, and then uh and you know, kind of the other thing he's like I said, the scoring. And this is something that I wanted to bring up that I have sort of just recently found out about that is really cool. So if you're scoring, we have we have fancy things that have the diamond on it and we can make our mm-hmm. marks and, and everybody kind of has a little bit of a different way to do it. Well, he didn't have that, obviously. He just had a note. And so he had, he started with like an S was for a single and a D was for a double and a T was for a triple, right? Yep. But when he got to strikeouts, so this is, if you ever looked at a box score or watched a baseball game and you're like, why are they using K? What does K mean for a strikeout? I mean, you kind of like there's a K in strikeout, but basically he just, he sort of decided to choose the last letter back then they would say struck. It was struck versus strike. You know, it was just the times words changed. So he chose the last letter, but the, other interesting thing and this is more of just a theory they don't actually know but if you draw a k it takes three lines so if you're watch if you're scoring a game and instead of just putting three straight lines you can draw a k if there's been three strikes and if there hasn't been three strikes then you've got you know maybe a v or you know, a, a, a line, like however you make your K. But yeah. yeah, I thought that was amazing. I'm like, yeah, I'd never thought about that, but you I'd can never thought. Yeah. You can score strikes with the letter K. And that's amazing. So that there is a theory out there that that's part of the reason he did it because he could keep track of how many strikes were happening in each at bat that way. That's wild. Yeah. It was, it was really cool. It, 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 it I was kinda, today years old when I found that out. <laughs> yeah, literally last week, because I, I mean, I had looked into Chadwick, like I said, I went down the rabbit hole and, you know, Chadwick plays into the story of Abner Doubleday because he was on the side of uh, baseball just having evolved from rounders and mm-hmm. uh, Spalding, the you know owner of the Cubs, you know, ex MLB pitcher, Cubs pitcher. He, well, white stockings, I guess. But, uh, you know, they were arguing back and forth over this. And, you know, so that got me into him. That, But mm-hmm. it wasn't until I was looking into this that I started looking into how he scored his original games. And I found out about that K. And it, I, I tell you right now, it will change how I do a scorecard forever. Yeah. I've never done it. I, was, I would do like just a little dot. Yep. Right. And if I had three dots, then that was three strikes. And I might draw the K after that. But now, from now on, I'm doing the lines. I just... That's awesome. That that got me excited to go score a game again. <laughs> what, and I think what Chadwick did, you know, I know now we have analytics in all the sports. And, you know, you should shoot three-pointers in basketball. And, and football has their own analytics. But 
for a hundred years, baseball was the numbers game. That's where, you know, as much as people will say today, and, and I'm one of those people that like home runs, RBI, batting average are not the best ways, the most optimal ways to evaluate hitters or pitchers by innings pitched in ERA. There, there's no doubt what he did was amazing because the, those have been the core of the sport for 150 years. And our most legendary numbers are, you know, Babe Ruth and Hank Aaron and then Barry Bonds, you know, going for the most homers in in a career. And who's the last guy to hit 400? And the, we don't we don't have that romanticism about Woba. Yeah. And well, we never will. And, and that was one of the things that, you know, when when you asked me to come on, I was going to ask you questions like this because. Yeah, like, let's do it. Because. I mean, I've been watching this game for 40 years and I am not anti-analytics. I look at them, but I don't always quite understand them. Things like war. Like, how would you sort of explain war to a guy like me who, I mean, I, I guess I sort of understand, like, you're this much better than a generic player. Yeah. Well, so, so think about it this way. But this how is do the, they figure that out? <laughs> this is the best way that I've been able to understand it myself. I mean, I, I know how to use the number and I know more or less how they get there. But so if you look at war, so you're talking about wins above replacement. So a replacement player is that level of player that's just always available. Like it doesn't, I could probably find some guys who have zero war and give some examples. But basically it's, it's a player who is fine, not special, not going to kill your team, but, you know, so if, if you put together a roster of 26 guys that are all zero war, um, if you look at fan graphs and baseball reference, they have different measures of war, but they did agree back in 2013 to settle on a starting baseline. So they both start from the position that if you have a 26 man roster of zero war players, you would be expected to win 48 games. See, now I didn't know that. And, yeah, and again, one reason Chadwick's numbers always held up was because they were super simple. Yes. Right? Like, if you hit the ball this many times and you've been to the plate this many times, then that's your number. You're hitting mm -hmm. 250 if you do a hit every four at-bats. You know, his yep. big problem was he didn't add in uh, walks to that, <laughs> which is why so many people don't like batting average anymore they like the uh ops better or uh on base percentage better because it takes everything into account but those things are really simple to kind of understand now when you were telling me a 26 man roster of zero war players i seriously thought to myself like that might be an 81 win team <laughs> like because i don't I, I mean where do they come up with 48 and I, and I guess that's maybe why you said the romanticism of some of the numbers, why it's kind of hard to get romantic about war, because yeah. I don't understand how 48 came in to be so, that many games. I don't know exactly how they did it. And there's, there was actually a lot of math that went into it. But if you, the way I've found helpful to think about it is, you know, 48 is right around the worst team in baseball. That's like 62 Mets territory. Really? So yeah. So if you think about, like, I'm looking at the Cubs right now, and I'm looking at Edwin, no, not Edwin Rios. Um, 
Well, and I guess that's one thing too, is like you're saying that a zero war player. So wins above replacement, right? Yes. Gives me the idea that a replacement is sort of an average player, but that's not what that means. That uh, replacement player is, is a bad player is what you're saying. Cause yes. if you have 26 guys on your roster who have zero war and you're going to get 48 and that's like the worst team that's ever been then but but think about think about the bad cubs teams let's go back to well look at 2022 after the after the trade-off you know even as bad as you know that was a bad team they lost they didn't lose 100 games but they flirted with it and you look at that team that team still had ian happ on it that team still had nico horner on it that team you know while he proved in the end to not be great, you know, Frank Schwindel went on a tear for a while. And right. so that is not a team of like 26 Edwin Rios's. Um, and so as you add talent, it's kind of the idea that like people talk about where the Cubs are right now. I would guess, like I talked a week or two ago, if the Cubs don't make any additional moves, I think they're like an 84, 85 win team right now. Um, but let's say they sign Cody Bellinger tomorrow. You know, what is Cody Bellinger going to add to that? And that that's kind of the idea that war pulls it. You know, like adding Cody Bellinger probably doesn't make them a 95 win team. Right. But if, but if we agree that they're 84, 85 right now, he probably takes them to 88, 89. He's probably a two to four win player over the course of 162 games. Okay. Yeah, Ish. I mean, we, we can we can debate what that level is, but that's that's the concept behind it. And I think the biggest thing is, I think some of the stat heads get a little too, little too overblown on the old stats being bad. I think the analytics movement has really just tried to find better ways to tell the story. And for something like the newspaper, there, I don't think there is a better way to tell the story than what Chadwick put together in the box score. You know, you've got two inches. You just can't put that much into it. Right. But if you're going to evaluate a team and why do, and I'll, I'll throw out um, something we went back and forth a bit last year, you know, run differential. Run differential doesn't inherently mean anything because you you make the playoffs based on the number of games you win. It doesn't matter if, you know, if you win those 87 games, by one run each and get blown out in all the other games, you could have a horrendous run differential and still make the playoffs as an 87-win team. Yeah, according but, to the run differential, which we love to talk about as uh, the great statistician Pythagoras would yes. tell us, uh, the Cubs, I think, last year would have been like a 91-win team, mm -hmm. which would have, I think, made them first place. <laughs> Depending on how that broke out, yeah, they very, would have been right there with the Brewers. Very close. I, yeah. I don't remember how many uh, I think the Brewers, the Brewers won 91, but if the Cubs had actually pulled it off, they might have taken another game or two from the Brewers and maybe knocked them back. But Right. Um, I think the big thing there is not that like, oh, yeah, look how great the Cubs were, but you're trying to tell, and the same thing with hitters and Woba, and, and I can get into a few different examples, but I think the old stats tell what happened. Henry Chadwick, that box score, is telling you what happened that day. And as you tally that up, that does tell a story on a season, you know, who hit the most home runs, who had the most doubles, who had the highest batting average. But I think the more people dig into the game and the people who are interested on the stat side, it's a lot of why. 
So why did things happen this way? Or, or how did this happen this way? Or you get a guy, and we've all seen it. I mean, I mentioned Frank Schwindel a minute ago. Um, some guy who just plays out of his mind for a season. And, yeah. you know, so Jed was in a tough spot with that, right? Because he put Schwindel in when they traded Rizzo away. And for the second half of that season, he was legitimately, over a big sample size, one of the best hitters in baseball. Yeah. I mean, he was he was that good the second half of 2022 or 2021. Yeah. At and 30 so, years old, he got a shot and he really did his did everything he could to mm-hmm. take advantage of it. And while it's unusual for guys to emerge that late, Justin Turner did. So it's yeah. not unheard of that maybe Frank Schwindel could have been a thing. And so one of the things you want to do then is d- dive in a little bit deeper. Like, what is there about his hitting was it just fluky? Did he have a lot of, that's where like batting average on balls in play. You know, if, if you have a BABIP of 450, you're probably getting a lot of good luck. Cause not that, you know, if you put the ball in play a bunch of times, you're going to find a hole sometimes and you're going to hit it at the guy sometimes. Right. And <clears throat> so they try to figure out like, is this a fluke? Is it projectable? And then like the next level down is when you start getting into the stat cast stuff. Because again, like, I could smoke a ball 100 and well, I can't, but somebody could smoke a ball. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. We're, we're many years away from that. Yes. And our, our, our aluminum bats. Yes. <laughs> you know, a guy can have consistent hard hit rates, but if the, you know, if it's always at a guy, you know, it, it may not correlate to results. Yeah. But on average, like when you dig in and do the math and look across the league, guys who more consistently hit the ball hard, will generally tend to have better results or at least more projectable results. And we see the same thing with pitchers, right? Like everybody wants that guy in the bullpen that throws a hundred miles an hour because even if it sticks straight, hitting a hundred miles an hour is still really freaking hard. Yes. Um, It's very hard. But again, you know, like you said, if it sticks straight, it's still not going to be effective. Like that's the (coughs) issue is that these guys are so good now that, I mean, when we, when we were, growing up like 90 somebody hitting 97 was insanely good like that was on top of everything but you know things so my like high school baseball team stuff have figured out how to get these bodies to do more it's amazing yeah i mean just to show how things have changed like my high school baseball team we won state my senior year that had absolutely nothing to do with me i barely played um but we had two guys on that team that wound up playing in the major leagues and one of them was a left-hander, Ben Sampson, who got drafted by the Twins. Eventually, arm injuries killed his career. But he was throwing like 91 miles an hour as a lefty in high school. Like, yeah, I could see high That dude wasn't touched. Like, Yeah. I remember like one game, I think he threw a one hitter. And the only hit was the other team's number nine hitter just like happened to stick the aluminum bat out at the right point. It was a right-handed hitter, hit one like tailing around the right field foul line. He was so late, but he just... <laughs> yeah. He, he got the barrel of the bat to the right spot that one time. But like now that would be nothing. A kid from my hometown that's going to get drafted this year, Brody Brecht, you know him, you're an Iowa, Iowa guy. Um, oh, no, played football no for the idea. Hawkeyes. Huh? Well, <laughs> oh, he played football for the Hawkeyes. On the Hawkeyes. Okay. Yes. The, the two sport kid who gave up football and he's a pitcher. Yep. Now I know what you're talking about. He was throwing hundred miles an hour in high school. Yeah. Like, and when my kid went through and, and, you know, we played against Luke Little's team. I, I wasn't, he wasn't in high school when Luke Little played there, but 
Luke Little's from the Charlotte area and he was just blowing dudes away. And, you know, high school is still like you'll get guys, a lot more guys throwing 90 now. Um, yeah. My kid, my kid didn't, which is why he's a mechanical engineering major. But um, those guys who do, it still pops. And well, mechanical engineering has a, a much better job prospect. It is absolutely much better <laughs> job. And uh, he'll have much better shoulders for it. Yeah. But, <laughs> well, but, you know, I mean, it, and, and that's kind of the thing, I mean, that you and I kind of get into and we go back and forth on some of these numbers uh, and and it's not really the numbers like I get painted sometimes as like a, a curmudgeon you know I haven't yeah. because because I don't I'm not as into those things and so they're like oh well he just hates all the new analytics which I don't I actually I'm I'm with you I look at these things I look at I don't quite understand the difference between a a uh, hard hit rate and a barrel rate why those are so different but they are and you know that's fine i can at least understand that two yeah. things are different <laughs> but <laughs> like we get into these 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 things and it's like it feels to me like sometimes we've been able to figure out some of these numbers so completely that there are people out there who that's the end of the evaluation. You know, it's like, well, this person, even though this person has a 200 batting average, he hits the ball hard. So we should allow him to continue to play because this other guy doesn't hit the ball hard, but he's hitting 285. You know, yep. and it's like that to me is is frustrating because I do understand so much more clearly the two hundred versus the two eighty five. But the other thing is that um, there's more to it. You know what I mean? Like I feel like the mm -hmm. numbers are the place where you start, and you see these guys, and it's like, okay, he's hitting this ball really hard. That's great but clearly something else needs to be done, you know? Yeah. And, and I feel like sometimes, you know, new stats guys sort of say, well, no, nothing else needs to be done. He's hitting it hard. He just has to wait until those balls go where they're supposed to go. And that's where I sort of get frustrated. I'm like, you can let a guy die on the vine hitting the ball very hard every time, but he's not ever, fixing anything to put the ball in play better or do something that will move that ball four inches to the left. It's going to get him the hit versus hitting yeah. it right at somebody. Well, and some of that comes in with sample size, right? Like I've seen so many things this off season about, well, I guess PCA is not going to be any good. The dude had 19 plate appearances. Like every Mookie Betts has had stretches where he went over 20 in his career. Yeah. Um, so you have to take that into account. So I, what I like to see is I think you want some of those raw things. Like you want guys who throw the ball hard, hit the ball hard, whatever. But then there has to be more to it, to your point. And I'll, I'll throw out an example. I've got uh, Javier Assad's baseball savant page pulled up. Oh, and I, you see, in the, I'm glad you picked him. A lot of people don't seem to be on this guy. They seem to, and, and I think you might be, telling us kind of why they aren't as high on him. I think he's yeah, a great pitcher. 
I do too. And, and his results, like the, the Henry Chadwick version of Javier Assad that we see has been really good. So the question is like, do you want him in as the fifth starter then, or would you want to go sign somebody else or look at another kid in the system? And the thing with Javier, and I think this year is going to tell us a lot. Like if you go down through his baseball savant page, you know, everything's highlighted in red and blue. So the, the darker, the red, the more elite that particular skill is and the darker, the blue, the more bottom end it is. And there are definitely some things with Javier Assad that don't seem to go together. And also some reasons to be concerned. Like, you know, he doesn't give up a lot of hard contact. That's one thing that works really well in his favor. He gives up a lot of soft contact. Um, but at the same time, he actually gives up a pretty high hard hit rate and barrel rate, which, you know, basically means when he's hit, he's either like popped up, dribbled, or he's crushed. Right. Um, and the other thing with him that pops off the page to me is if you look at his chase rate and his whiff rate, they are really, really low. Like he's fourth percentile in chase rate and 11th percentile in whiff rate. So it's wild that he's getting so much weak contact because he's not fooling guys to the point of striking them out or getting them to like, they're reading his stuff. They're not chasing balls outside the zone. And when it's in the zone, they're not swinging and missing that often on it. But yet somehow he's got a huge ground ball percentage. He doesn't give up a high average exit velo. So in some ways it looks like it's not sustainable, but also some dudes just, that's just who they are. See, yeah. And, and, and that's where, and that's where it becomes hard because like I get the numbers are, are going to tell us. Sometimes the numbers tell us the story that we're looking for, right? Yeah. Like, somebody's struggling and then you look at the numbers you're like oh well that makes total sense but then you know a guy like Assad's out there and you're like wow this guy seems to be doing really well why why don't they really want him to be a starter like why isn't he sort of one of the guys that they're like yeah we're we're gonna try and work him in Mm -hmm. um that's not the story you hear you're like ah he might be a long man but he's you know it it just it I don't know I get the feeling they don't want to make him a or give him a real opportunity as a starter unless they have to. I think ultimately, I think what the Cubs think is that the bigger the sample size gets, the harder he's going to get hit. Because I'll I'll flip this around, so I'll go to Kyle Hendricks now. He's also a guy who does not throw hard. Uh, Obviously, he's more elite than Assad. And and Kyle Hendricks is one of my favorite pitchers. Well, he's, in, in fact, he's probably my favorite pitcher in the league right now. And, you know, probably my favorite pitcher of all time was Greg Maddox, and they are mm-hmm. very similar. And I don't necessarily like them because when they get out there, they just blow people away or whatever. I love I love the game in their head that you can yep. watch happen. You know, like you see them outthinking the hitter. And mm-hmm. that's pretty that that's an amazing thing to see. And we don't unfortunately we don't get to see that a lot these days. Yeah. But well, yeah, and so, get, so tell us about uh Hendrick. Sorry yeah. for No, no, that's fine. That was a that was a good setup. So you look at his I'm looking at his um baseball savant page now and, and he is literally, I think, the softest thrower in the league for a guy who throws for a starting pitcher who throws that kind of innings. He's got first percentile fastball velocity. Um but he has a in spite of that, he has a ton of red on the page. So I'll talk about the dark blue stuff first, the stuff that's kind of, you know, quote unquote bad. 
low fastball velocity. He also does not get a lot of whiff. Um, does not get a does not strike out a ton of guys. Um, and expected batting average, where based on contact rates and all that thing, you would expect players would have a high batting average against them, but they don't. And the reason they don't is because that game you talked about the fooling hitters and setting guys up and playing off their tendencies, you know, he actually has a 94, 94th percentile chase rate. He gets guys to chase out of the zone. Um, It doesn't necessarily always lead to strikeouts, but I think they make contact on those pitches. And so they're reaching outside the zone. They're off balance. They're beating that thing into the ground or popping it up in the air, Um, which leads to he's 98th percentile on average exit velocity. Yeah, well, he, because batters are, are making contact mm-hmm. either in front of where they expect to hit it or behind where they expect to hit it. Even on a even mm-hmm. on an 89 miles per hour fastball, it's because he's got that, what is it, like a 70 mile per hour change up. Yep, that you've that, just seen four times in a row. Yeah, and so all of a sudden that 89 mile per hour fastball, you're late on it. There's your, mm-hmm. there's your soft contact. And... When he throws the fastball, and you're like, okay, I, I just took that one. There's my fastball. This next pitch looks exactly the same, and I swing, and I hit it, but it was the changeup. And so now I hit it way out in front of the plate. And it just instead. caught the top of the ball, and I beat it into the ground. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. and it's amazing to, to see guys be able to do that. And I feel like some of that stuff is getting lost in our game a little bit because it is always like we're just faster and faster and faster throwing. We want the hundred mile per hour fastball and we want the 92 mile per hour slider, (laughs) which if you've got that, that's amazing. Well, and that's the thing, right? Like Kyle Hendricks, what Kyle Hendricks does is really freaking hard to do, which is why he and Greg Maddox are special. If you can't throw 90 miles an hour, your odds of being Kyle Hendricks are really, really low. Well, in in part of that though, honestly, is because of how good the analytics are anymore. Yeah. You know, because back in the day, there was more guys that could do that. A Jamie Moyer mm-hmm. say, you know, he was a lefty that pitched until he is forty like forty eight years old. Yeah, because he could just do things. Yeah, Yeah, he could just do things with his. Yeah, I'm not even 48 yet. He's the (laughs) only guy. (laughs) I'll I'll be turning 48 here shortly, and he's the you know, and and after that I'm done. Well, except for unless I want to think about Satchel Paige, which I will. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so back in the day, when I when I'm seeing more guys could do that and there was more room for guys like that, like an Assad or whatever, because there was, I think, less technology on the field and less, uh, you know, like, I mean, even now we've got Pitchcom. We got the, uh, your catcher has a card on his forearm. And that Mm -hmm. card is not just, you know, what this pitcher throws. It's what this hitter hits and how this does this and that you know and I've been kind of noticing this over maybe like over just like the last year and a half noticing that more often because you see even guys in the field will pull the card out they'll Mm -hmm. look at it and then they'll take three steps to the left where in the old days 
you couldn't do that. You had to just remember it. Or your manager was in the dugout yelling, hey, move over, you know, (laughs) like that. But now it's it's a completely different thing. And like even the hitters can go in, they strike out and they go and they pull out their iPad and they watch their at bat and they see, well, why did I strike out? Yep. You know, what did I bite on? What didn't I bite on? The game is very and that's not all bad. But it definitely yeah, does. Yeah, I mean, if you have those tools, why wouldn't you use them, right? Well, I mean, the reason you wouldn't use them is because it, in in my view, it sort of, I guess it's evening out the game in a way that's actually not good to watch. It's not as right great to watch because once the numbers actually do tell us everything that's happening on the field before it happens... Well, then there's no point in watching the game, you know, and and the whole thing that I love to see and the reason that Kyle Hendricks is my favorite pitcher. And and don't get me wrong. uh, You know, Randy Johnson, I loved watching. He was great. I like you Darvish. You Darvish is maybe the prettiest pitcher. Mm -hmm. Like I will just watch him throw the ball because I like the way that he delivers the ball. Um, uh, Hayden Wisniewski opposite i don't like the way he pitches only because i just don't like the way it looks okay <laughs> he's he's kind of herky-jerky and you know same with like a kershaw like a kershaw with his hitch in his step yep it's super effective and he does this but i've just you know there's something about it that you know whatever i just i don't really like but what i liked about it was that he figured something out in that to that he was taking advantage of and um, you don't see that a lot because yeah. they're not going to allow a pitcher to do that very often because they're going to say, well, no, that's not how you do it. And and so we're seeing less and less different batting stances. We're seeing less and less different pitching setups. We're seeing, you know, and while that's good, like on an individual basis for the players, I don't know how great it is for the game because there's and again this is a lot of how the front office and the management is using the numbers more so than you know like if they didn't use them this way it wouldn't be this way right they could use them in a different way and it would be fine but they're sort of taking all of that um, well what I like to call the artistry out of it Mm. the 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 thinking man's game the thing that they the best hitter is maybe not going to be the guy with the purest swing and the guy with the best stance and he does everything exactly right because it's been analyzed down to the last step it's going to be the guy that is smarter and he's out there and he's like i remember what this pitcher does you know, and I know what he's going to do here and there and, you know, and, and there's not somebody like feeding it to him off of the iPad from the dugout, <laughs> that type of thing. Well, wh- one of the more interesting, and I don't know if you were listening at this point, the last summer I had Ben Lindbergh on from the Effectively Wild podcast. He's He's been a fan graphs writer and a BP guy. And um, we got talking about some stuff and we were talking about more the player development angle. But one thing he talked about, and he, he brings it up from time to time on his show is he would love to see 
more reduced pitching staffs. Because basically right now, like the pitcher's always at the advantage because the pitcher knows what he's going to throw, knows where he's going to throw it, and the hitter has to react. Um, and now it's gotten so good and guys can go so max effort that, you know, a starting pitcher doesn't have to get through much more than the fifth of the sixth because there are four guys in the bullpen that can come in throwing 98. Well, and they won't even let them. Right. Even if they well, could, they yeah. won't let them. So what he's proposed, and it's an interesting concept, is to, I don't know if the, how this would work with the Players Association because it would could potentially ultimately reduce jobs, but like they already put the hard cap in, you can only have 13 pitchers. Yeah. His case is maybe you drop that to 11 because then you don't have as much depth in the bullpen and change some of the rules so you can't have the constant shuttle going from you know Des Moines to Chicago bringing in the triple A arms that would sort of force guys to, you know, all of a sudden now you're the back end of your bullpen can't go every day. Um, they can't go multiple innings, probably hardly ever, which is going to force your starters to go longer, which means they're not going to be as much max effort. Cause now like back in the day you were expected to finish, right? I mean, going back until to the Henry Chadwick's 80s. ERA, yeah. The reason the ERA is based over nine innings is because almost every pitcher in his era went nine innings, if not yeah. more, if they needed to. So, like now, when you think of an ERA, it's their ERA is three forty-eight, but they got that over two different games, giving up, uh, you know, three runs in in just five innings or whatever, and it's mm-hmm. it's almost. ERA, is, and, and that's another reason a lot of people don't necessarily like ERA as much anymore because it it's a little bit deceiving because they don't go through that whole, they don't go through the lineup three or four times. Well, and, and also, like if you're, there are some relievers with low ERAs because they are consistently coming up and giving up runs, but they're giving up the runs they inherited from the starter. And so yes. that actually penalizes the starter, not the reliever. So sometimes the reliever looks better than maybe they really are. Because to your point, when Chadwick put this together, it didn't matter because that one dude was throwing at least eight of the nine innings pretty much every time out. Yeah, a a reliever only came in like on like the the day the pitcher pitched back to back. And he's he's actually on his 17th straight inning and they're like, yeah, why don't we send in another guy? (laughs) Well, I think it's very easy to lose sight, too, of the fact that like if you're a I don't know a fairly average starting pitcher and you have an ERA around four. That would mean back in the day, you're going to be giving up four runs on a typical nine inning start on average. Well, now that the guy's only throwing five innings, so he's probably only given up two or three runs. It doesn't mean like it's a four ERA is getting crushed. He's only given up a couple of runs, but then you got to go to other guys to get the, the rest of the innings. And I think it does create a bit of a disconnect in what that ERA actually means. Yeah, exactly. See, and I and I think that's why, like I was saying that, because you look at a four ERA, but if they pitch, say, four and a half innings, that's a half a game. Like you say, that's two runs. Mm-hmm. If you were to say, no, he only gives up two runs every time he goes out, then you're like, oh, well, that's not so bad. Right. That's not bad at all. You know, and to your point, when the when he does run into trouble and he's got two guys on and they they pull him out of there and the reliever comes in and gives up a double and both those guys score then yeah there's two extra runs that get thrown on there 
that he wasn't even a part of. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, technically, well, I mean, and, and, and that's of, part of the on. debate back and forth, right? I mean, because he put the guys on base, so he, he gets yep. should have some responsibility. Um, and that's also where you start getting into like, even it's it's still a pretty basic stat, but like whip walks walks and hits allowed per inning, like that gives you an idea of how many dudes is this guy putting on base every game. Yeah. Um, you will, will and, see and things like that actually give you maybe a little bit better. Yes. Um, idea. And, and I think that's where, you know, like I say, I, I get sort of painted with this brush of, I don't like these numbers, these new numbers. I no, I like them. Um, I just don't always like how they're being used. You know, like you're talking, um, about player development and they're teaching these guys max effort. Right. And they're going this max effort way. And honestly, maybe not max effort maybe you know you they they learn a slightly different they learn more how to pitch like doesn't mm-hmm. it seem like sometimes i mean and the old dudes will tell you like the old pitchers uh if when you hear them in interviews and stuff they'll say like now guys just throw yeah and back then we had to pitch you know because they knew that they had to save their arm for the seventh inning eighth inning and uh and so they were doing things out there that were, um, they were different, you know, to, to save their arm a little bit or to, you know, they were trying to induce, they were giving pitches out there to batters specifically to hit mm-hmm. because they didn't trust that batter to do anything with it, <laughs> you <Yep>. know? <laughs> and, and like today I feel like that would almost, I mean, the Cubs are actually kind of into that you know, the, the, Pitch the contact, contact rate, the higher yeah. contact rate and a, a stronger defense. But, um, you know, but that's also why they don't get high ratings with their pitching staff, even though the pitching staff can look very good for long stretches, but because they don't have those high strikeout rates and stuff, they look down on them sort of. And it's like, it's not in my mind, it's not that easy, you know, what? The, the reality is you can win you can win baseball games a lot of ways. I mean, you yeah. can at the most basic, simple level, the most important stat in baseball is did I score more runs than the other team today? And that could be because you didn't give anything up or it could be because you scored 25. Yeah. Um, and how you get there is kind of the magic in there. And that's where like when we're trying to evaluate things like kind of like uh, on the hitting side, similar to ERA, you know, batting average is how many, how often did you get on base or on base percentage? How often did you get on base per plate appearance? That's a good measure. It shows that a guy gets on base and we all saw the movie Moneyball and yeah. you know, come on Pete. Yep. He gets on base. Um, but it doesn't tell you like there's a difference between, even though they're both amazing hitters, like Luis Arise is going to win multiple batting titles, but he's not Mookie Betts right. or Mike Trout or Shohei Otani. And so I think some of these additional stats like um, WRC is one and WOBA is one to try to play into, you know, not all contact is the same. Not all hits are equivalent. And even slugging percentage, which gets at that because it factors in total bases, a home run is not necessarily four times more valuable than a single. Um, a double is not necessarily twice as valuable as, I mean, it is that many bases more. Right. But in terms of the game, um, Sure, you hit a home run. I mean, nobody can catch the ball. Nobody can get out. You can't get a runner thrown out stupidly on the bases. 
Um, so that is in some ways <laughs> yeah. the ideal outcome, but, um, so it's really just trying to tell the story of how, how can we get the most context into here? And what I really like to go to my favorite stats to use are honestly things like WRC plus and war. It's, it's a simple one number where like WRC plus or OPS plus, if you use baseball reference, um, WRC plus is fan graphs. If you're 100, you are league average. So if you are 100, you are dead on median middle of the road. And so if you have a 125 WRC plus offensively, it's 25% better. But the, the disconnect is I can always go back and look at a game and calculate a batting average. Um, yeah. You got to be way into the weeds to be able to go and, and actually calculate WRC plus. See, and yes. And that's where it comes in. Like I can understand that this player well, I can't understand that they're 25% better than the average. What I can understand is 25% better than the average is is really good. Like that's I so I can look at it and go, "Oh, okay, that's good." But I don't necessarily know what the average is, right? Because like when we were talking about war, zero war, that was a like a whole team of those was 48 wins. Yep. And so a whole team of 100 WRC plus is that still in that 48 win is it you know how does that sort of and that's where some of this stuff is a little bit of a disconnect like what you were saying because i i just don't know i can so what? i it it tells me how they compare to other people but it doesn't but that's not a solid thing for me to grab onto right and there's also a range i mean it like if you have a 102 WRC plus and I'm a 103. That doesn't really make me better than you. We're right in the same range. No, they're the same, but they're the same player. <laughs> but if, but if Nico Horner has a 105 and Mookie Betts has a 147, I mean, and that's a pronounced enough difference. You don't need the stat for that, right? Like nobody would question whether Nico Horner is as good offensively as Mookie Betts. Right. The only but, the only issue I have there is like okay that's great so I know Mookie Butts is a much better hitter than Nico Horner. I could probably see that if I watched Mookie Betts all the time and I watched Nico Horner all the time I'd be like yeah I can see that this guy's definitely better. But I guess I don't understand how they get to that number, you know, and that's because the math is it's really complex, much more complex now than than it used to be. Well, but the one cool thing, the, one of the reasons why I like those numbers is because of all the complexity that goes into it, they are doing their best. And I'm not even saying they always get it right, but they are doing their best to account for park, you know, so you can actually compare somebody who plays in Coors Field versus somebody who plays in Miami. Um, right. And you're trying to factor in um, on base versus power and all these things. And, and that's what Greg Huss tried to do with that bash statistic, because You've got different levels of play. You've got some hitters parks and some not hitters parks. And then one of the things I thought was really cool that he factored in his his stat specifically for what he was trying to accomplish is that it's very different to be a 19-year-old playing double A and a 28-year-old playing triple A. Right. Like you wouldn't expect the 19-year-old in double A to be killing it. But if he's putting up vaguely average numbers for the league that's a really good sign because that kid's 19 years old yep versus the 28 year old maybe killing it in triple a but he's already 28 like where's he going yeah but see and then and then that's where the numbers again rub me the wrong way because 
like you said, Justin Turner showed up at 30 and he's still playing and he's, he's at the end of his career, but he's made his money. He's been good. He's, he's a world champion at one point, you know, he's got a, he's, he's got a, a pedigree now that anybody would want. But at 30, depending on how you looked at those numbers, you could just say, well, he's washed up, you know, and that's and that's where I get the numbers like take out a little bit of the humanity of the game and the humanity of the game is always what drew me in Mm -hmm. more completely. You know, the one part I think is particularly cool about it, though, is on the flip side. So the teams have the stats. And they, they have stats and models we don't even see because it's all proprietary stuff. Um, yeah. But they also then get into all the stat cast data and they can look at the things and with all the baseball science stuff going on right now, they can figure out like if we can get like, I'm going to have a, a former nationals, well, he was a minor leaguer, but a, a former pro pitcher on my pod in a couple of weeks when he gets back from his honeymoon, we're going to talk some pitching stuff. And he was telling me about some of the technology in use today. Like you can have a guy who maybe isn't performed, maybe isn't popping off the page, not having a great career, but you start thinking like, what can we add to this guy to make him better? And they can like figure out who his fastball in terms of release point, spin rate, velocity, like who are his comps in terms of fastball? And then look at the best guys from that list and like, what's their best secondary pitch? And then see if you can get that guy to throw that. So to your point earlier, like it's much more copycat. It's a lot less um, who's unique. See, now I am. But that can develop a guy and give a guy a shot that wouldn't have had a shot 40 years ago. See, and and that's what I love actually about the technology. When they're using the technology and they're using the numbers to figure out how to make a player better or Mm -hmm. to work him into the game in a way that's going to work for him. I love that. I feel like because of the way people are, they'd rather use the numbers to limit a player more often than to help the player move forward. Now, maybe that's just because we don't see it, right? Because I, I like think it's he, more that. And, and and it is a bit of a zero-sum game. Like there's only 40, 40 man roster spots. And yeah because all the teams have the same number of minor leaguers and roster sizes are all the same. Like if you're going to amplify one guy, he's taken somebody's spot. Yeah. But then, you know, unfortunately we get into the same thing that Moneyball was struggling with, right? Mm-hmm. Moneyball's issue was, well, this guy doesn't look right, you know? Yep. And when you, if you look at some of these numbers or whatever, they don't have the, the proper stance or they're not pitching in the same way. It's like, well, the guy doesn't look right. You know what I mean? Yep. And it's sort of a you're you're getting to the same point that Moneyball was fighting against, but you're doing it now from a just a different direction. Because, you know, and I think in general, as with almost everything in life, we need to find that balance. There has to be a balance to mm-hmm. let the player be the player and to help the player be who he can be on the field and use the numbers, you know, to, to help you with it. I've always been, and, and I coached a bunch of little league. I know you, you did too. My whole point as a coach, I can only teach him so much. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a great baseball coach. I knew a little bit. I could get them going, teach them how to throw the ball, all that stuff. But what my job was, was to put them into a position that would help them do well so that they felt good when they left the game, you know? And I feel like sometimes with like baseball, they don't always do that. They're they're, And I don't, and I don't always know why Christopher Morrell is my biggest gripe right now on the, on the Cubs because the numbers seem to be telling this Cubs front office that he is not worth playing somewhere or giving a real shot at either third base or just finding a position for him, you know, but the performance seems to, you know, when we're watching him, we're seeing a guy almost like uh, he, he's not traditional. He's not maybe the number guy that's going to do it, but he's like the most electric guy on the field and the things that he does and the things that he can do are amazing. You know, the you, you brought up PCA. Zero hits last year. But some of those catches that he made in center oh, field where he ran from, like, off the screen, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> they're, they're following the ball, and he's not even on your TV set, and he comes running in and catches the thing. Like, that's the kind of thing that's amazing. And I know you can get that from numbers as well. But it also takes a certain person and a certain, you know, ability well, a guy like PCA is really interesting in the numbers because let's say he's let's say he's just an okay hitter um hits fine he's not going to kill you he can stick in the bigs but his glove is elite I've seen projections where if he doesn't really become much of a hitter his glove is going to be could be so good that he's still a three or four win player which yeah. is I mean that's that's a really good baseball player who's going to stick in the bigs for like Kevin Kiermaier, like Kevin did have some big offensive years, but like I see people comparing PCA to Kiermaier and fans are like, no, he's going to be better than that. Like Kevin Kiermaier is really freaking good. Yeah. You have to be the stick in the bigs for 14 years. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, and that's, yeah, that's the thing too, is like we get so wrapped up in the, in the offensive numbers and, and that's not really the fans fault as much as it is the announcer's fault. There's no real discussion about defensive ability. Defensive metrics kind of suck. Defensive metrics are really really hard. hard. They're they they do suck. But also, like when they're talking about the game, um, they might point out a flashy play, but they don't point out what's actually happening. They don't show the defense. You know, like it's focused on the offense. And so whenever so a guy like PCA could maybe be the best defensive center fielder we've ever seen. But if he doesn't do it at the plate, people are going to be all over this guy. Jason Hayward is the exact thing. I mean, he played a great right field for most of his years. And when he didn't play a great right field, he played a pretty good right field, you know, but he just never pulled it together at the plate. And people felt like they, they didn't get enough out of him, you know, and, well, it makes, and it's yeah. frustrating to see something like that because it is a whole game. And, and PCA, I think is going to make enough of those just wild showboat catches that it's going to stand out. But one thing that like, I think back to Albert Almora and he had a really good reputation on defense, 
because mm-hmm. he would make a lot of those flashy plays. But there are a lot of flashy plays that Almora made that would not be flashy if PCA made them because PCA reads the ball better. He's faster. He's just going to be there standing up, not sliding in at the last minute to catch the ball. And they, see, and, and that's one of the things that they don't talk about, right? Mm-hmm. That's not that's not a part of a baseball broadcast. And that's not a thing that even, I mean, when we talk, we don't talk about it much. But yes, you're you're absolutely right. Darwin Barney won a gold glove because he had no range, but he knew it. <laughs> and he didn't go after balls he couldn't get. You yeah. know, so those weren't errors. And a guy like Almora, to the general fan, and I will say, I was I was kind of high on Almora. I, I did like him. I was too. He, he was a flashy. I didn't mean that to be a criticism of Almora. He's just not as good defensively as PCA. Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, but that's I mean, whatever. Mean, who but, is? But. but yeah, but his he was flashy. He seemed to make plays, and you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe you made that play. And he was making very impressive plays for the ability he had, yes. right? And so for me, that's a guy I do want to have around. But yeah, you don't keep him over a guy like PCA who the play is not going to look flashy because he's already there. Right. <laughs> you know, well, that's, and one of the things, uh, one of the things, Swanson, Dansby Swanson is is exactly yeah. that guy. He he is the most boring person on the field. Because he's the best person on the field. But back to like, you're just, you know, you like the poetry and the flow of baseball. Mm-hmm. My favorite thing in the games I went to this year was to watch Dansby play shortstop because every play he's in the right place and his footwork is perfect almost every single time. And that's that poetry of the game. That's that individual style. And that's, that's the stuff you can't get from a score sheet. You can't get it from Henry Chadwick's box score. And that's where I think there's so much going on in the world. It's hard to watch 162 games, but the more baseball people watch, especially in person, because it's hard to catch all that stuff on, on the TV broadcast. Some of that stuff is just, it's so fundamental and the fundamentals I really enjoy watching. So put more balls in play. Let me see Dansby's footwork more often. You know, Nico's footwork is almost as good, but Dansby is just so smooth with it all. Yeah, no. And, and, and I, I absolutely agree with you. And, you know, the whole let's speed the game up, let's do all these things, you know, that's a that's kind of a television problem, in my opinion. It's a television problem because of the way that they're running things. Pitchers have slowed down, you know, until they sped them up. And I didn't hate it. Absolutely didn't hate it. I thought it was fine. The you know, the the pitch clock moving moving pitchers along. I liked like I didn't think that was bad now do they need to knock another five seconds off that no yeah i, like, I thought they should have just left it where, they, where it was last year last year was it was nice it was it was a little bit quicker there was a little adjustment early um but you're not losing the good part of the game like yeah. watching a guy step out for the third time and readjust his batting gloves is not like my favorite part of baseball to watch no um, and and actually making the pitcher pitch a little bit quicker allows for more of the action of the game mm-hmm. one thing and it, Chadwick noted way back in the day he talked about how fast baseball was and I thought that was amazing because it's like how fast the game was nobody talks about it that way but the game is very fast the pitch is 100 miles per hour the hit is 100 miles per hour the the guy making the catch is 
doing things in his brain and making his body move to a point to get there. Everything is so fast, Mm -hmm. but it's like, you know, we get focused sort of on the things that are slow (laughs) and complain about that too much. And it's kind of a bummer. I thought I, I thought the pitch clock was I was I knew I was going to be fine with it because I've watched enough minor league games with it and I don't even notice it. Um, but I, I thought it was totally fine. I'm, I'm surprised they're chopping more time off, honestly. But yeah, I don't know why they're chopping more time off. That's a little too much. But the pitch clock is always is is good when they don't pay attention to it. That was the worst part about the start of the season was the announcers talking about it constantly yes. and having it up there. Um, you know, and that's it. That's another thing too. I just watched uh, the game six, 2016 NLCS, right? Because, YouTube is your friend. <laughs> because I just found out it was on YouTube. That was amazing. So I watched it. And one thing that I did notice, they don't have the little square box there yeah. for the batters. I hate that box. It's one of the worst, like, and, and it's not like intuitive because you're like, I want to see where the ball goes, right? Yeah. But honestly, it drives you nuts because you're so focused on it. And if the ball doesn't go exactly in there and the but it's close. But because we can see the box, we're like, well, that was obviously a ball and he called it a strike. But when you take that away and you watch the ump do his job and these umps are doing things where a bad game, a really bad game is like 91 out of 100 pitches are correct. (laughs) <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's a bad game for them. And the reason we're so focused on it is because we see the nine pitches that he missed because of that box. And when you take that box away, you don't see those nine pitches. You maybe think, well, there's nine pitches or maybe, you know, yeah. but it's just not as uh, much into your, your uh, consciousness when well, it's you're watching it right? It. I mean, th- there are numbers out there that, you know, if a hitter gets down 0-2, they're actually more likely to get a ball called on the third pitch. If a pitcher gets behind 3-0, they're going to get more leeway in the zone to get it to 3-1. I don't I don't think that's anything intentional the umps do. I think it's just human nature kind of thing. But it's, it's when they miss that big pitch. You know, like, uh, it could have cost the Cubs in the World Series when the Cubs took Hendricks out in game seven. They had just walked a guy on something that I think was pretty easily strike three. Oh yeah. I remember that and, because it, it's still drives yeah. me nuts that Joe Madden pulled him right there. But if he gets that K, he's not pulling him anyway. Which is why it's so insane. <laughs> it's like that ball was a strike. He got called a ball. He got the walk, but Kyle Hendricks didn't walk anybody. That wasn't yeah. a walk that you, you know, obviously in the box score, you're going to see a, a walk. But in reality, we know what happened, and yet they pulled him anyway. And then the game took a a, a frightening turn, you know. <laughs> and it's just like, uh, but it that's worked out another, in the end. And that's another thing. It's like, you know, I don't have the numbers for it, but I watch those games religiously. All And I'm not talking about the World Series. I'm talking about that whole season. And my name for Joe Madden was Captain Hook because he (laughs) let nobody go anywhere. Like he was, he was so tight on that. Just watching game 
six of the NLCS. Kyle Hendricks was in the eighth inning. He gave up a hit, only the second hit of the entire game, and it was not a good hit. It was just like a grounder that found the, you know, found the hole. And he yanked him right away and went to Chapman. Now, I can't really argue against that because it worked and that that's not a spot to really that's not a spot where I saw the decision as being like a bad decision. You know, you had Chapman, you were going to have a break if you win this game. And that game was maybe the most important game. I mean, obviously game seven to win it is the biggest game, but if you don't win that game, there is no game seven and the Cubs can't get past that game in any other year. And we've, we've seen 2003, like, you know, sometimes you just got to get the hell off the field. (laughs) Yeah. And so, I didn't really hate that as much as I did in game seven when he pulled Hendricks because he pulled him way earlier in the game for less of a reason. And then he brought in a guy in John Lester who he just swore up and down. He would never bring him in in a quote unquote dirty inning. And then he did. It's like (laughs) if if he would have brought in anybody else, it probably would have come out a little bit different. He pretty clearly panicked. And and yeah. there was some fluke too, right? I mean, like, how often is David Ross making an error on a bunt and then giving up a pat, not blocking a wild pitch? I mean, like, yeah, those oh. just weren't. And I thought, I thought David Ross was going to leave that game. That ball bounced off his mask, and yeah, I, I thought, thought he had like a concussion or something. That's like what I thought back. too. And then he ended up. I and and when he came up to bat, I'm like, he should not be playing. This guy has a concussion, and he puts the ball over center field fence. And I was like, <laughs> well, never mind. <laughs> well, and that's that's one of the things that I find really cool about baseball because, regardless of the analytics, and we are getting pretty long here, so maybe we'll start to pull it to the end. Um, this isn't some rant over. The, I don't usually have three hour episodes. I, I went I went long on a podcast. I don't know what you're talking about. I know exactly. But like, <laughs> so you can look at the numbers and have everything down, and you still have to make a decision in a moment. And one of the cool things I like about baseball is that there's no. You can make the right play. You can bring in your number one closer in baseball. You know, Mariano Rivera would sometimes blow a save. Yeah. And sometimes you can make the most stupid, like, what the hell is that manager doing? Unthinkable decision. And it just freaking works because baseball's stupid. And well, it, it, yeah. And that's the thing. That's, you're right. That's the thing that's beautiful about baseball. You, you bring in all the numbers. All the numbers can tell you all the things that have ever happened. And like you said, when you average all those numbers out, it gives you a good idea of what's going to happen. But nobody knows what's going to happen game to game. Like yep. in, in the game, in that game, that is a singular event. And it's weird because like I was saying before, uh, early, you know, two hours ago when we were starting, <laughs> I have 10 years of this stuff you know, that I'm paying so much attention to that is feeding into the things that I say. And a regular fan is watching the one game. Who's having the better experience? I don't know. It might be the fan just watching the one game because each game is a singular experience. Yeah. And sometimes you have to shut off that sort of the analytical brain going, you know, like this is where you bring in John Lester. No, or you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, it's it's it, and I think this is why baseball is the best sport, because this is a conversation that you get 
you don't get this with other sports no. really you know and, no. and i'm not 100 percent sure why but it's why i love baseball a, you're doing football to an extent because you can you know you might make a stupid play call but a defender falls down all of a sudden it, it works but well and baseball, there's so many it's, it's so much all the time and there's so many no calls on holding and there's yeah. so many things happening on, the, on that field that yeah is is different yeah and i think that's where like i'm not maybe i'm not necessarily so much positive but like i will get i spend way too much time on cubs social media in season um, yeah actually you do i yeah <laughs> i know you you come in hot on the discord sometimes it's like i've been over on uh twitter oh. too much <laughs> and i just find myself playing like devil's advocate all the time and like they'll be in there like Ross is a moron because whatever he made this move or that move. And I might've even agreed with what they're saying, but they get like so vehement about it or that it's so obvious. And like, look, like this guy is going to get it right. Some of the time and, and the best guy's going to blow it some of the time. Like you don't, and, and that would wrap around. Like on the one hand, people would say, you know, they got to rest Dansby more. They're playing him too much. So he's not playing as well. And then all of a sudden you get a day where Dansby's not in the lineup and then they're screaming like, why the hell isn't Dansby playing? Like sometimes Miles Mastroboni has to play. Is, is, see, and that's where that's sort of the, and that's that give and take. That's like, if you have been watching the game, you know that Dansby hasn't taken a game off in two weeks and it doesn't even phase you. You're like, yeah, maybe I wouldn't have done this game versus that game, but he needs a day off. Like you can't. And I wasn't always crazy when, when Joe Madden would throw out the whole like, getaway day lineup where it's like the entire bench is starting but and and they still kind of do that sometimes like a lot of the games are still the sunday games are getaway days or at least partial getaway day lineups and it's frustrating to see like that's the kind of thing that is almost seems a little too formulaic you know well and also you think back like some of my favorite some of the guys i've really liked in the last cubs run was the things that like Tommy LaStella or Chris Coughlin would do in 2015, 2016. And if you're playing your starters every day and those guys are not getting some level of regular work, they're not going to have that magic off the bench or that, you know, play that one matchup with the pitcher and, and they hit a home run or get a couple doubles. Um, right. So there, there really is a balance to figuring out like, how do I keep, th- that's what drove me nuts about the roster construction last year. Like they, not only did they not start with three outfielders, but they had like Luis Torrens and Edwin Rios that never played. Yeah, it was. Like, yeah, I ha- I have to say, you know, the whole Craig Council thing, and you know, some people got out of their shoes saying like, oh, now this shows that we're going to spend a ton. Uh, the Sunranto show is not one of those because we saw <laughs> the writing on the wall. We're like, now nah, we got Craig Council. They think he's going to get those extra five wins that David Ross blew for us, and. It seems like that. I still, I still am holding out hope for Bellinger, and I'm still. I, I still think they're going to spend more for a, I mean, another. But I'm not going to be surprised if they don't. I will say the one thing that I'm, I'm still holding on to is I was looking at Fangraphs today with the, uh, they ranked all the free agents at the start of the preseason or yeah. the start of the off season, and of their top twenty five, of the top fifty free agents they ranked, nineteen are still unsigned. And nine of the top twenty-five are still unsigned. Um, so there are still quality baseball players out there yeah. that are going to land on teams at some point. 
You would think. You would think. You know, at, at some point, God, I just I hope the Cubs are in on on some of those. But then at the same time, I'm also kind of I I've been listening to your podcast and you're talking about what if they just go with what they've got. They've actually got position wise, at least they've got a pretty good. They've got a potentially good lineup, and I really like the idea. Well, I guess I wanted them last year to go with the kids much more so than yeah. they did. And even when the kids did come up and they were good, they didn't get a chance. You know, it's like it was, yeah, it was really it was weird the way Ross handled that. Yeah, it was it was really rough. So, you know, and I hope that council does make the difference in that sense. Because, you know, it's like, again, I'm I'm writing this line of go out and get better players because you can and also we have the best uh minor league system that we've had forever let's yeah. move some of those guys out of the minor leagues and let's see what they do um and that's the balance like cody bellinger makes the team better i i love that he if pca is not ready he can flex to center field if michael bush isn't hitting and pca is then he can flex to first base like he can go a bunch of different directions um but like i don't want to just go like i'll see like i don't know the the Pirates sign some random dude and then people on Twitter will scream like, what, we couldn't get him, Jed? Like, (laughs) we're not at the point where we just want random dudes. Like, it's got to be better than giving Michael Bush a chance to play or letting Matt Mervis have a shot or letting Christopher Morrell play third base. Well, and, and that's where I run across a lot of pushback because I am... I'm I'm gonna go out and say it. I'm the first person on the Jed doesn't know what he's doing train. I'm I'm driving that train. There are there's and like that's nobody, where we actually disagree. There's like nobody on the train with me. <laughs> I I, well, I, I feel like he's put himself with this roster and how he has been doing some things over the last few years. He's put himself into a tough position. Like it's it's hard what he's trying to do right now but the reason that it's hard is not because of what's happening right now it's what's happened the last five years yeah and i that's i I think the biggest mistake he ever made was saying it's not a rebuild it was always going to be a rebuild yeah well and i just was and and i personally think the biggest mistake the ricketts ever did was if they're going to move on from theo move on from him like they just brought little Theo in and Jed came in like there was no change there they needed a change and they didn't get it you know what I mean now would they have would it have worked out better I don't know but I know that part of the issue right now is that they didn't go looking to see if they could make it better they just kind of handed the the keys to Jed and moved on I will say the one thing they actually changed was when they brought Craig Breslow in to redo the pitching infrastructure. And that has been a night and day difference. Like that change was spectacular because they went, what, 2014 to 2019. They only brought up, I guess, Hendricks and Edwards. And some of those guys were, they traded for them when they were minor leaguers and they came up with the Cubs. But really there were like three pitchers that came up with the Cubs and made the major leagues. And there was nothing in the system at that point. And now we've got, you know, Kate Horton's coming and Jordan Wicks and we've got a bunch of guys in the bullpen and Justin Steele and 
Well, and, and I hope so. I, I yeah. do. And, and I agree with you. Breslow has been really good with that. And also, uh, Carter Hawkins coming in. Yep. He's better with the, uh, you know, with the, with the pitching staffs and stuff like that too. And the evaluation of players, pitchers, especially. Um, so I like I think them. they're doing a really good job now with like the draft. And I mean, the, I think the last couple, they've really just hit out of the park. And, and so. And we'll see who actually makes it to the bigs, but I, right. And, and so, yeah, I like the Carter Hawkins move. I like the Breslow move. That's still the, you didn't hear Jed come out of my mouth. He hired him, but I think the biggest difference between I could have hired good people. (laughs) Yeah. I think the biggest difference between Jed and Theo is Theo would make the decision to go roll the dice. And so that means that he would jump in and he would get Ben Zobrist and he would get John Lester. But it also meant that he would have that off season where he signed you Darvish, Brandon Morrow and Tyler Chatwood Unfortunately, Darvish was hurt that year, which he couldn't really control. But, you know, that was a shit ton of money to get no pitching out of, basically. Yeah. Um, and that set, that set him back for another year. That meant, you know, I, I know you guys poke at a lot, too, but the Daniel Descalso offseason wasn't oh. really about Daniel Descalso's. But they had all the money tied up in those other pitchers. And that was the year they had to pick. They felt like they had to pick up the $20 million option on Cole Hamels. See, yeah, that and that drove me nuts as yeah. well. That was a. That was a bad pickup. They shouldn't have done that. But okay. But, but we are, look. I know you normally do an hour long podcast. I can keep going. <laughs> but, we'll, we'll call it today. But I, I got to get you back on. This was fun. Absolutely no, and and especially during the season, because some of the conversations that we have had on in the Discord, I think would be great on a podcast. I think you know just it's because it's an interesting back and forth and. You know, just see, yeah, it's fun because it's two different takes on the exact same thing. And we agree on like probably 98%, but then we get to those agreements so differently that it seems like an argument all the way. (laughs) Yeah, it's fun. By the way, this is episode, and I I don't know, I I thought you were going to like lead in with this because I listen to your podcast and you talk about. Unlike you guys, since I don't go live, I have to in post-production. Okay, so this is episode 68. Yeah. And this is the first time you have never had a choice for which cub you use. It's Jorge Soler because he's the only number 68 that's ever worn it for the Cubs. And the only other position to this point, right? Because now we're getting into those upper numbers. Yep. But the only other position to this point you'll who has one player using it, you'll never use. And that's Strowman because you can't have an episode zero. Yep, that's. But true. I was looking at the numbers today because you know I was like, oh, this is who who am I? Which episode am I going to be on? Right? And it was, yep. and I'm like, I thought I would have to guess, and I'm like, oh, this is the Jorge Soler episode. <laughs> yep, that's going to have to be. Yeah, <laughs> and I, you know, once we get up, there are a couple numbers coming up where no Cub has ever worn that number, and I'm going to have to. Yeah, there, there's I'll no. Have to go si- find a stat or something. There's no 69 or 70, but didn't didn't Madden wear 70? But yes. he's not listed as a player, right? Correct. But yeah, I think Madden wore a 70, and I think uh, you would be remiss probably not to go with Madden on that one. 
I'll do my research. Maybe there'll be a cool <laughs> You're like, I'll we'll see, see if I can find somebody else. <laughs> I, I, I try not to go the obvious play, but sometimes you just have to. Well, sometimes uh, it's just Hori Solaire. In episode 23, there was only one option. You, true, true. Yeah, you know, when the, when the numbers are uh, flying above the field, you got to kind of go that direction. Yep. Well, where can, uh, so we can catch you, we can find you on the Baseball Rabbit Hole and Sun Ranto right on this feed. Where else can people find you? I know you're you're not so much of a uh, social media guy, but you're out on Reddit, I think, a lot. Yeah, so um, I still do have a Twitter feed out there, and I'm uh, and it's uh, Cubes Fanatic. That's my handle, the uh, unofficial poet laureate of the Chicago Cubs. Uh, and I have a Substack called Cotton the Stack. It's all one word, but it's C O T T O N, my name, the Stack. So like caught in the stack, and uh, I put baseball poems out there. That's um, awesome. Your poetry is really good. So I've got like five people check it out. Five or six out there as I'm working on them. You know, I, I throw them up there. But yeah, uh, if people don't don't know, I spent two full seasons, 162 poems. I did a poem for every single game for two full seasons. So that's what 324. Yeah. 324 straight. Uh, and then I went to just the series because man, that was tough. I mean, even the series is like 60 of them, Yeah, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I, so I have a lot of fun doing that. Obviously Sunranto, um, cup of cubby blue, everything's on this feed where you're going to find me, but you can look me up at, you know, on Twitter if you want, but, I would follow Sunranto show on Twitter uh, or over at blue sky. I think I'm cubes fan on blue sky. That's, yep. that's another you're one. You're cubes fan on Reddit too, aren't you? I think. Yes. I'm cubes fan on Reddit and Sunranto. The Sunranto show has a Reddit page. I would love for people to use that more and I will use it more if people are going to engage, but man, I, I post stuff out there. That's the one I've never gotten into and I, I got to get over there more. Well, when I got out of uh, Facebook, and then I was like kind of, you know, easing up on the Twitter because it was just kind of driving me nuts. I found Reddit and Reddit is Reddit's a great spot because I can figure out what I want to look at. Mm-hmm. And they generally don't show me things that I don't want to look at. And that's, you know, that's my happy place. I just get to yep. look at the Cubs. I look at the Bears, even though that's terrible. But, you know, <laughs> that's Hawkeyes, stuff like that. I get the things that I want without having to you know dig through the you know different news articles and things that pop up cool but well, it was great having you on i had a blast with this episode we'll definitely bring you back on yeah no this is great it's great conversation and uh, i look forward to having more great conversations on discord and you know maybe back on this show uh, in For the sure. future i'll come on anytime cool well thank you have a great uh, rest of the week all right spagog spagog Thank you for joining us today. If you liked the episode, please drop a rating and review wherever it is you get your podcasts and share the episode with a friend. Just a few seconds from you gives me great feedback and helps other Cub fans find the show. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky, and YouTube, all at CubsPS Plus. And check out the Patreon page, patreon.com slash CubsPS Plus to help support the show. As always, the theme music for this podcast is Prospect Park West by Jerry McCoy. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs!